Well, good morning, church. Welcome to uh, Redeemer. And here we are at the very last weekend of May. This is a Sunday when we would typically honor our high school graduates uh, during our worship services. So today I thought I would share a message from one of my favorite passages of Scripture from Mark's Gospel, the eighth chapter, beginning with verse 34. And you can pick that up in the text. The message today is entitled, How Will You Invest Your Life? I recently read the story of a man who likes to share his Christian faith using two simple questions. If he's meeting someone for the first time, he often asks them, what do you do for a living? And the person may answer, I'm a doctor, or I teach Spanish at the high school, or I run a nonprofit, or I'm a stockbroker, or I'm a student. Whatever it happened, they happen to do for a living. That question works because we all do something. So it's relatively easy to get people to talk about what they do for a living. Then comes the second question. What are you living for? And he says there is often a moment of silence because people don't always know how to answer that question. And it's a good one because just just as we all do something for a living, we all live for something, even if we don't know exactly what that is. It's good to pause occasionally and ask ourselves, what are we living for? How are we investing our one and only life? If we're honest, we know that some people live for money. Some people live for fame. Some people live for approval. There are a whole lot of things that we could put on that list because we all live for something. And my question for you today is this, what are you living for? To help us answer that question, I want to invite you to take a trip with me in time back to a place called Caesarea Philippi. It's a Roman city located north of the Sea of Galilee. There's a huge rock cliff that dominates the landscape. And at the base of the cliff is a stream that flows into the Jordan River. It's a critical moment for Jesus. All Israel buzzes with word of this man from Galilee. Who is he? By what power does he perform miracles? What does he want? After a wave of early popularity, the nation is now divided. True, Jesus has a wide following among the common people, It is also true that among the rich and powerful, opinion is slowly crystallizing against him. And in the distance, the drums of angry opposition are beginning to beat. And before too many months, their sound will become a deafening roar. Knowing all of this, and knowing that it would end in his death, Jesus gathers his disciples in this quiet place to draw out from them a deeper commitment than they had shown or given to this point. It is here that Jesus asks the famous question, who do people say that the Son of Man is? And it is here that Peter makes his confession, you are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. But the conversation does not end there, for Jesus is seeking more than just a confession. He is also seeking a commitment. Now that you know who I am, are you willing to commit your life to me? 
This is how Jesus puts the issue in Mark chapter 8, beginning with verse 34. Then calling the crowd to join his disciples, he said, If any of you wants to be my follower, you must give up your own way, take up your cross, and follow me. If you try to hang on to your life, you will lose it. But if you give it up for my sake and for the sake of the good news, you will save it. And what do you benefit if you gain the whole world but lose your own soul? I invite you to take a careful look at these verses. The Bible uses the word life twice and the word soul once. But in Greek, these are not different words. The Greek word is psyche, from which we get our English word psychology. Sometimes it refers to the immaterial part of people, our soul, as opposed to our body. But more often it refers to the whole person, or to the inner conscious self we call our personality. The psyche is the real you that lives and breathes and makes life decisions. Life is not a bad transition. As long as we remember, it means more than our physical existence. So with that as a background, let me paraphrase Jesus' words in more modern language. Now that you know who I am, are you ready to take up your cross and follow me? Before you answer, let me warn you that following me will seem in the eyes of the world as if you are wasting your life. The people of the world will never understand what you are doing. It will seem to them that by following me, you are throwing your life away. You always have another option. You can try to save your own life by following your own desires, and lots of people do that. They live as if their career is all that matters. But the people who live only uh, for this life, in the end, will find that they wasted this life on things that don't really matter. They try to save it by living for themselves, but in the end, they will lose it. They have wasted their lives on trivial pursuits. But if you follow me, though the way will not be easy and you will often be misunderstood, in the end, you will save your life. And the people who laugh at you now will not be laughing at you then. They will see that, they, uh, that you were right and they were wrong. After all, what good will it do you to become the richest person in the world? Or climb to the top of the corporate ladder? Or rise to the highest salary level in your company? Or win the applause of the world? What good will all of that do if in the end you find that all of it was wasted? What good will that shiny new Lexus do you then? Will you be able to trade it in for another life? No, you won't. But if you want to live that way, go ahead. Millions of people do. In the end, they will be sorry, but by then it'll be too late to do anything about it. So what will it be? The way of the cross or the way of the world? You've got to invest your life in something. What's the best deal you can make? That reminds me of the famous words of the singer Bob Dylan, 
you're going to have to serve somebody. Well, it may, not be, it may be the devil or it may be the Lord, but you're going to have to serve somebody. On this point, Bob Dylan and Jesus agree. You're going to have to serve somebody. Who will you serve? What's the best deal that you can make? Christ followers believe the life of Jesus is the best answer to that question. Consider the facts of his career. Jesus was born in an obscure village in the out-of-the-way province of of the Roman Empire. He never went to college, nor did he have any professional training. He never had a bank account. He owned no property except the clothes on his back. He never held public office. He never wrote a book. He never had a spouse or children. His closest friends were all blue-collar workers. He felt at home among the outcasts of the society. His ministry consisted of preaching in the countryside, teaching in the synagogues, answering difficult questions, healing the sick, and casting out demons. His opponents openly accused him of consorting with the devil. And along the way, he made some powerful enemies by exposing corruption in high places. And finally, his adversaries captured him and tried him in a kangaroo court and put him to death. To be perfectly honest, by most modern standards, we would consider Jesus to be a failure. He never made it to the top. If ever a person seemed to waste their life, it was Jesus. But consider this, after more than 2,000 years, his words are remembered and repeated around the world. His followers number in them billions and can be found in every country on earth. His personal integrity stands untarnished even after being attacked by cynics and the sneers of the ignorant. His death, which seemed to be a tragedy, has become the means by which we are reconciled to God. His whole mission on earth, which seemed to be a failure, has now become history's greatest success story. How can this be? He was humiliated to the point of death and seemed to lose his life for no purpose whatsoever. And yet through his death, God exalted him to the very highest position in the universe. The Apostle Paul tells us in Philippians chapter 2, verses 9 through 11, Therefore God elevated him to the highest place of honor and gave him the name which is above every name that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue declare that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Jesus made clear why uh, he did what he did. When he said in John's Gospel, the 12th chapter, I tell you the truth, unless a kernel of wheat is planted in the soil and dies, it remains alone. But its death will produce many new kernels, a plentiful harvest of new lives. From one seed comes a vast harvest, but that seed must die in order to bring forth fruit. As long as the seed saves its life, it remains alone, but when it loses its life, it brings forth the harvest. It's rather simple, isn't it? If we try to save our life, in the end we lose it. 
But if we dare to lose our life for Jesus' sake, in the end, we will save it. Jesus himself is the supreme example of this principle. There's also another way of looking at this whole question of losing and saving your life. And it applies to graduates in particular today, but to all of us at any age. And it's the question, is your life a career or is it a mission? Are you pursuing a career or a calling? There's a vast difference between those two concepts. A career is something that we choose for ourselves. A mission or a calling is something that is chosen for us by someone else. There's a huge difference between living for our career and being sent on a mission. The Bible never talks about having a career. Having a career is not a biblical concept. Having a calling or a mission is. It is not that believers don't have careers. We do. Some of us are painters. Some are doctors. Some are computer scientists. Some are bankers or nurses or teachers. Some are writers. But the difference is people of the world live for their careers. The people of God don't. When your career is central in your life, then you are career-driven and career-minded while you climb the career ladder. You take a job and you leave it in two years uh, because it's a good career move. You break all the significant relationships in one place and you move across the country because your career demands it. Everything is calculated to get you someday to that elusive place called the top. And when you get there, your career will be complete and the world will applaud your achievements. Now, I'm suggesting that being career-minded in this sense is precisely what Jesus meant when he said, if any of you wants to be my follower, you must give up your own way, take up your cross, and follow me. If you try to hang on to your life, you will lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake and for the sake of the good news, you will save it. And what do you benefit if you gain the whole world? but lose your own soul. Your career may keep you from fulfilling your mission in life, and your mission may never make much sense as a career. Your career is the the answer to the question, what do you do for a living? Your mission or your calling is the answer to the question, what are you living for? Your career is a ladder to climb. Your mission is a journey that you take. Your career makes you a professional. Your mission makes you a disciple. Your career takes you to the top. Your mission leads you to the cross. Your career is about the here and now. Your mission is all about eternity. Over the years, I've had the opportunity to talk with a whole lot of young men and women who are about to graduate from high school or college about their future careers. And I'm always saddened when I hear them talking about their future in terms of money and prestige and worldly success. And if you are just here to eat and to sleep and to go to college and get a degree and get married, get a job, have some children, climb the ladder, 
make some money, buy a summer home, retire gracefully, grow old and die, then what's the big deal? All of that is okay, but if that is all that there is to life, then you're really no different than someone who doesn't even believe in God. It's nice to have a career. It's far better to be on a mission for God. Jesus calls his followers to be totally sold out to the kingdom. That applies to all Christ followers all the time, not just to full-time Christian workers like pastors or missionaries. Suppose you're an electrical engineer or an attorney. Here is God's job description for you. You are a missionary cleverly disguised as an engineer. You are a missionary cleverly disguised as an attorney. It's nice to have a career. It's far better to be on a mission for God. It's not wrong to have a career and and do well by the world's standards, nor is it bad to move across the country, but motivation is everything. Two people may follow the same career path, and both may end up at the top, yet one may be living solely for that career while the other sees their life as a divinely ordained mission from God. One has lost their life. The other has saved it. Now ask yourself today, did Jesus have a career? No, he had a calling. He had a mission from God to be the savior of the world. Nothing he did makes sense from a career point of view. Being crucified is not a good career move. And yet by his death, he reconciled the world to God. Was he a success or was he a failure? The answer is obvious. In November of 2017, David Cassidy died at the age of 67. He is remembered for his role in the 1970s uh, sitcom, The Partridge Family. And according to his daughter Katie, his last words were, so much wasted time. And I think that's the fear of a lot of people. There will come, they will come to the end of their life and look back with regret. And that they will come to the end and realize they had wasted their one and only life. Sooner or later, we all come to the end of this earthly journey. What we have to show for it on this time on, during this time on earth makes a difference. No doubt we can all look back on too much wasted time. When I thought about David Cassidy's final words, I remembered these lines by Benjamin Mays. He said, I have just one minute, only 60 seconds in it. Forced upon me, can't refuse it. Didn't seek it, didn't choose it, but it's up to me to use it. I must suffer if I lose it. Give account if I abuse it. Just a tiny little minute, but eternity is in it. Dr. Mays was right. It may only be a minute, but eternity is in every moment. Let me close today with a story. In one of his sermons, the late Ravi Zacharias tells the story of Robert Jaffrey of Canada. He came from a wealthy family, 
in fact, was heir to a large newspaper fortune in Toronto. When he was a young man, he learned the Chinese language, language and was offered a large salary by Standard Oil of New York if he would just forgo his missionary career and work for them. He refused. So they doubled his salary, or the offer of that salary, and he refused again. They cabled him with a message and said, Robert Jaffrey, we want you at any cost. He cabled back and said, your salary is big, but your job is too small. He spent 35 years as a missionary in China and helped translate the Bible into Cantonese. When World War II broke out, he and other missionaries were placed in an internment camp, and he died there two weeks before the end of the war. Did he waste his life? Well, depends on your perspective. In our home growing up, there was a plaque with these words on it, only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. You see, one day all of us will pass from this life into the presence of God, and what will we say on that day? More importantly, what will the Lord say about us? The martyred missionary Jim Elliott said, He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. If we try to save our life, we will lose it in the end. If we lose our life for Jesus' sake, in the end, we will save it. If we live for our career, what difference will it make 10 seconds after we die? If we spend our life in the service of the kingdom of God, the road may not be easy, but 10,000 years from now, we won't regret that decision. Life is not a dress rehearsal. We only get one chance to do whatever we're going to do on this planet, Earth. And soon enough, sooner than we think, our moment in the sun is going to be over. Do you have a career? Or are you on a mission from God? The answer to that question makes all the difference in the world. I'd like to repeat those two questions I asked at the beginning and ask that you think about them again today in light of God's word. What do you do for a living? Most of us can answer that question pretty easily. But the second question is more difficult. What are you living for? That's the harder question. May God help us to live for Christ today and every day. God bless. Amen.